only a paper moon Hanging over a cardboard seat But it wouldn't be make-believe if you believe in me We've been fortunate over the years to have had the opportunity to speak with people who have provided valuable information to the public. Likewise, it's been a privilege to chat with notable entertainers. A chance to talk with someone who is both a world-class entertainer and diligent enemy of fakers is naturally something we would jump at. And today, luck is with us. We have such an opportunity with James Randi. The Amazing Randi is a talented conjurer, magician, and escape artist who ranks with the great Harry Houdini. Randy has, in fact, often equaled and exceeded the wonderful tricks performed by Houdini. And, like his legendary predecessor, James Randy has used his knowledge of the trickster's arts to expose religious con men and phony psychics. He has, in fact, investigated charlatans of all stripes, much to their sorrow, and revealed their fakery to the world. On venues such as The Tonight Show, James Randy showed how so-called psychic surgeons performed their sleight of hand and how Yuri Geller bent spoons. He famously brought down, at least for a while, evangelist Peter Popoff by revealing to Johnny Carson and the nation how the TV preacher had tricked his flock of believers. At a recent event at Ohlone College in Fremont, Randy asked if there was a doctor in the audience to assist him. So it was I found myself on the same stage with this epic debunker as he swallowed an entire bottle of Calm's Forte Sleep Aid, a homeopathic remedy to demonstrate that the pills had no effect. I dared to hope that after that, I might be of some further assistance to James Randi's efforts to expose charlatans, and to our great delight, he joins us today to allow us that chance. I'm honored to be able to say welcome to Radio Parallax, James Randi. Good to be here, I must say, but you did attribute an awful, awful lot of this to luck. I had very little to do with luck. You said, oh, we have good luck today. No, we don't. I'm just being a little severe on your on your use of language. <laughs> no, no, I, I apologize for that. I appreciate that, and, I, and, your, and your criticisms are, are valid. And I want to start by thanking you for that demonstration you did at Ohlone College. Uh, you've done this countless times, showing how homeopathic remedies are bogus. You swallowed that whole bottle of pills to show they didn't really make you sleepy or do much of anything else. This is a powerful demonstration that such remedies have no value, and I just, I just thank you for that. Well, you're very welcome, and I, I hope that it worked. I think that... Uh, judging from the audience reaction, that it probably did. Well, you clearly were not sleepy afterwards, as I was supposed to, <laughs> to verify as a physician. And again, it just makes me angry to see that these things are sold everywhere, right alongside medicines that have to demonstrate some efficacy. Uh, homeopathic cures are not held to the same standards as things like Tylenol, and they really do exploit a loophole in drug safety regulations. Yes, I believe also uh, I got around to that in my lecture, because uh, they have a special exemption homeopathic medicines. A fellow named Royal Copeland, a senator some years ago, came up with this wonderful idea, and he got them exempted from a regular examination for efficacy. And so homeopathic medicine can be sold without any test, and they can make any claims they want for it, and uh, it's still part of the law. Incredible. It is indeed. Uh, I, you've noted in the lecture, I think, and we've noted on this radio program that uh, that if the theory of homeopathy is correct and that medicines get stronger the more dilute you make them, then obviously mainline biochemistry, physiology, chemistry, physics, basic biology, they must all be incorrect somehow. And so uh, I think this points out the need to weigh evidence that one's presented. And I'd ask you, do you not think there's an there's a even greater need for this in the information age than ever before? Oh, yes, we, we certainly need it. And I, I must report a sad event here in Fort Lauderdale, a fellow... Uh, died from an overdose of homeopathy. He forgot to take his medicine. <laughs> <laughs> Very good.
One of the, um, I guess it's flu remedies you, you, may, you made mention of, they basically take one duck liver, and from that one duck liver, which they don't even know whether it was exposed to virus or not, they make basically all of the, of the pills that are sold in the United States. Well, that saves ducks, of course. You see, <laughs> and ducks don't have very much to fear because the duck liver is not all that great. But uh, as I calculated, and I think my calculations are right bang on, uh, that would make enough. That's a silicocium, they call it. It's their most popular, quote, remedy, unquote. One duck liver would make enough pills at the dilution that they use, which is 10 to the 33rd, I think, in this, enough to fill the solar system. <laughs> and I'm including Pluto in the solar system because I'm an old-fashioned guy. Let's talk about one of your most famous debunkings. Evangelist Peter Popoff was raking in some big bucks. He was wowing people with an ability to supposedly call out their personal stories while claiming that God was revealing these facts to him. You took him down pretty hard by discovering the real method by which such data was passed to him. Can you tell us about that? Well, it was a very a relatively simple thing. I don't know about very simple, but a relatively simple thing. Uh, we simply put a, a monitor uh, at one of his meetings to pick up uh, radio signals that were being broadcast, and we picked up all the information from the cash registers and everything else that goes on in, in the area of any civilized part of the world now. And one of them stood out with a very heavy signal and found out that he was using a, a radio connection. He had a, a very tiny earpiece uh, embedded right in his ear canal, uh, fed by induction from a system around. I've forgotten the, the exact name of that system, but there are several of them like that. Uh, it's absolutely invisible. You don't see any wire going down the collar or anything like that, and he is simply being communicated with by his wife, who had done research in the audience and had gone around for almost an hour gathering information from people in the audience who said they wanted to recover from certain ailments, and she wrote down all the ailments and such, and she simply had a list of them, and she was reading them to him over the earpiece. And that's how he did his thing. And now, I don't think he's using that system any longer, not that I care much, but he's still on TV, and he, he can be seen at uh, something like 3 o'clock in the morning on many small channels out there, and uh, you'll actually see him. He's put on a huge amount of weight. <laughs> he must weigh twice as much as he did before. He, he overlaps his collar altogether. You can't see his, his uh, fraternity button, as a matter of fact. It's, <laughs> it's rather dramatic, to say the least. He's enormously fat. And uh, he hasn't lost any of his charm, though. He's just as reprehensible as he was in the first place. Yes, I, I sadly noted him on television not one week ago down in Fremont. He's now peddling miracle healing oil. And it's oh, yes, yes. Uh, the healing water that he has is from Chernobyl. And we know, <laughs> as, he, as he claims, not one Christian died during the Chernobyl problem that they had in Russia some years ago. Uh, I rather doubt that. I think that if anybody died, they were probably Christians as, as well as uh, atheists and various other terrible people like that. But he claims that all the Christians were saved uh, because of the Chernobyl water that he is now selling in tiny uh, containers. Well, it's a sad thing that he's still doing what he's been doing for so long. I mean, you really did knock him out of the box back in, uh, on the Tonight Show appearance. He had to declare bankruptcy after that. But yet, believers are still going to him. And uh, this, is, this is a sad thing. Some people just want to believe. Well, I don't know whether he was really bankrupt either. Of course, uh, 
There's no uh, proof of that. Right. Uh, he he changed his the name of his ministry from Peter Popoff Ministries to uh, People United for Christ or something like that. But uh, just by changing your name, you you misdirect all the people who are trying to expose you as a fake. And I think Popoff is going to be in business till the day he dies because he doesn't have any other profession. All he can do is lie to people and ask for money. It's an unfortunate truth. Uh, I think what you talked about in your book, The Faith Healers, about Popoff and, and, and other, others of his ilk, that uh, a certain percentage of the population are going to just choose to believe in something no matter what evidence comes before them. That's just part of human nature for some people. I've actually gotten approached by people who said they thanked me for the exposure of Peter Popoff. They're not sending him their money anymore. They're sending it to another evangelist out there who's doing exactly the same thing that Bob uh, does. It's just a different name on the uh, on the address envelope. I have beside my desk here in my office, I have a huge stack of mail that I continue to receive from Peter Popoff Ministries under a different name, of course, at this address. And it's all the same thing, appeals. They've got uh, little pieces of cloth in there that you're supposed to put into your, your shoes in order to bless you. And, uh, and of course, you've got to uh, send him a check at the same time. That, that would be uh, rather de rigueur to a system like this, of course. He has spent more money on postage just trying to get money out of me than he could ever get out of money out of the purpose. He could hang me up to dry in the, in the backyard here, and he wouldn't get that much money out of me. I'm sad to note that a relative of mine got on one of these lists and received from the Reverend Ike various uh, pipe cleaners and little piece swatches of uh, cloth, which they claim are prayer towels and the like, and it's, uh, oh, yeah, yeah. it's quite something. Yeah. We're speaking with James Randi, investigator and magician. Uh, you've noted with great anger that this, there's a cruelty inflicted upon people whose hopes get dashed when they realize that they actually can't be helped by these so-called healers. And I know you cited in the book one young boy that really struck you with his disappointment at a pop-off rally. Oh, yes. Well, that's, uh, that's sort of uh, tough for me to even uh, to think about, frankly, because I was never able to reach the family of this kid. Uh, I tried. I took a license plate and such, and I tried to trace it, but... Uh, I wasn't able to do that. I wanted to get a hold of them and see if I could chat with them a bit. But they had brought their, their crippled son uh, on, on crooked and very, very worn crutches, a bright little Asian guy, and uh, he was going to be healed by Peter Popoff. And we saw him when he was going in, and he was smiling from ear to ear. He never got a chance to get up on the stage until his parents actually charged through the line and forced their way up onto the stage, and Popoff did the whole thing of pretending to heal him and whatnot, and then sent him away, and they seemed to be very happy. But they were actually taken from there and put out onto the street outside the auditorium so that they couldn't come back in again. And, of course, the kid is, uh, is obviously a, a permanent cripple. It's difficult stuff, the sort of thing I do when I have to handle the, the so-called faith healers. They're... Uh, they're just liars and fakes and, and opportunists. You know, I'd like to take the time to plug a documentary about you, An Honest Liar. I enjoyed it, and I suspect many listeners will as well. But I was saddened in it to see that the desire to believe also seems to infect researchers into psychic phenomenon. The film showed pretty clearly how you set out to trick them, but then told them what to watch for to catch the trickery, but then observed them letting themselves be fooled all the same. Oh, yeah. As a matter of fact, I'm working on my 11th book at this very moment, 
It's on the screen in front of me here, and uh, it's going to be called A Magician in the Laboratory. And uh, that it, it will deal with the trips I've made all around the world in, uh, in, in more than 40 countries, as a matter of fact, and some of them tiny little countries in South, South America, where I've investigated people who uh, think that they're real scientists and they have degrees and such, but uh, that doesn't add up when you're not too bright in the first place. <laughs> and they have accepted all kinds of things, particularly tricks done by children who find that they can fool adults very easily if they're cute enough. And they do that all the time. And these scientists write uh, lengthy books with long words in them and such. And they sell the books. Oh, the books sell very, very well for them. Much better than my books would sell, of course, because they're about woo-woo. And uh, that's a very, very popular subject. And uh, publishers just adore this sort of thing. They'll grab those books uh, sight unseen and print them up because they know they'll sell well. And Ohlone, you told a very, very funny story about people at Lawrence Livermore Laboratory. There's a longstanding offer for a million-dollar reward to uh, someone who can demonstrate genuine psychic phenomenon. Uh, evidently, you received a call from a gentleman at the laboratory <laughs> to inform you about yeah. this momentous event. He genuinely thought he had some a real psychic phenomenon in front of him, and you, you kind of took him in a new direction. Can you please tell us that story? Well, I got a call from Lawrence Livermore Labs. Uh, my secretary was all excited. She said, it's Lawrence Livermore Labs. And so I, I took the call, and I signaled to my assistant to pick up the extension so he could hear what was going on. Because I had lectured very, uh, oh, four or five, at least four or five times at Lawrence Livermore Labs. Now, these are physicists. They're very well informed. They are scientists. They're legitimate people. They know what they're doing, except when they get slightly out of their depth. And this gentleman uh, announced to me that they had had a fellow visit there from Israel, and we're not talking about Uri Geller now. Uh, this is just a, another one of the fakes from Israel. And uh, that he had shown them a trick that... Uh, well, they didn't call it a trick, of course. It was a demonstration of psychokinesis. Uh, he actually asked them to go out to the grocery store and buy a small box of matches. Now, I'm talking about the little box of matches that's uh, less than the size of your palm of your hand, just a small cardboard box with about 30 matches in it. Mm -hmm. And this is what pipe smokers carry around, just in case they should be caught in the terrible circumstance that they can't light up that uh, luscious tobacco and uh, lead themselves to lung cancer, of course, but I won't get into all that. That's just my personal philosophy. So I uh, listened to what he said, and what they did is, as scientists, they went out and they bought something like 40 boxes of it that came in a big cellophane pack. Then they came back to the lab, and they numbered each one of the boxes, and then they did a random a selection from a random number generator and selected the box that was designated. I mean, this is ridiculous. Just it, it's overdoing everything. Uh -huh. And uh, they, they very carefully weighed it. And they tested the matches to make sure they worked and such. And then they, they did this stunt with the thing. That, that's what the psychic did when he was visiting them. He simply made it stand up on the back of his hand. And they, they marveled at that because they had examined it from magnets and threads and ropes and nylon and everything they could imagine. And there was nothing wrong with that box of matches. It was just wonderful that he made this wonderful demonstration of a telekinetic uh, um, box of matches. 
And, uh, of course, what I did was I just uh, directed them to a book by my late friend Martin Gardner, and it was called The Levitating Matchbox. <laughs> and uh, I, I sent him a fax right away. I sent him a copy of that page, and I asked him to read it, and he read it to me over the phone. He's only halfway through it before I heard click, and he just hung up because he realized he'd been fooled so easily by a very simple children's trick. And uh, strangely enough, I've not been asked to go back to Lawrence Livermore Labs for lectures. I don't know why, but I guess if I thought about it, I could come up with a reason. Well, I have to ask, have governments ever asked you to, to help them with this sort of research? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I won't start naming names and labs and such, but from, uh, that's what this book is all about, a magician in the laboratory. Okay. But they've asked me to travel halfway across the world uh, to advise them on certain things, and I have blown the top off their uh, cherished ideas. But many of them will ignore that because they realize that it brings a lot of money into the university. Now, for example, Syracuse University here in the United States, they're making millions of dollars from grants that are given them to study a thing called uh, facilitated communication with autistic kids. It's an absolute farce. It's, it's an assistant sitting there holding the child's hand and pecking the, the kid's hand on a, on a keyboard, uh, on a computer. The kid is not doing anything. The kid, in many cases, will be dozing away and having his hand held out over the keyboard. He or she is asleep. And this is what these people with facilitated communication, so-called, are doing. They're actually doing the typing for the kid. They know it, but they don't want to recognize that fact. And as I say, it brings in millions of dollars to places like Syracuse University, and uh, they're, they're getting wealthy with it. They're, they're getting this money dishonestly, though they don't like to think of it that way, because they like to think that it actually works. It does not work. I've proven time and time again in tests and even public broadcasting system, PBS, some years ago had a thing on facilitated communication, and they showed effectively and definitively that it is a total fake. It does not work, and the autistic kids are not only being victimized, but they're being used as guinea pigs by these people for demonstrations. It's just shameful. Very shameful. Well, I'm just wondering, do we have any way to estimate how much money, uh, say, our government has spent on things like remote viewing and telekinetically deactivating enemy warheads and such? I know that was a bit oh, yes. in vogue. Oh, yes, yes. The figures are available. You just have to look deeply for them. They're there, all right. And uh, uh, we're spending tens of millions of dollars every year on absolutely useless projects because we don't want the Russians to get ahead of us <laughs> in ESP, you see. <laughs> You wouldn't want the ESP race to be lost. <laughs> but wouldn't be make believe if you believe in me. We need to take a break at this point. You're listening to Radio Parallax. We'll be back in a moment with more from the amazing James Randi. But it wouldn't be make believe if you believe in me. Without your love, it's a honky tonk parade. Without your love. It's a melody played on a penny arcade It's a Barnum and Bailey world Just as phony as it can be But it wouldn't be make-believe if you believe in me 